I must tell you one thing that I learned this summer. Camping is nature's way of promoting the hotel industry. Amen? Amen. We are so blessed to study chapters 8 and 9 of Acts in detail. What I found was so fascinating was the contrast in the men in these verses, those who are committed to evil and following their own worldly agenda, versus those who are committed to following and honoring the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost. Stephen was such a man. As we open chapter 8, we have just witnessed the stoning death of Stephen, who willingly gave his life with all his, well, all the glorious proclaiming of the message of the salvation of Jesus Christ was given from him. Verse 1, and Saul was there giving approval to his death. And not only just approval, but approval with delight. But godly men mourned publicly and loudly for Stephen to demonstrate against his wrongful death that was never officially sanctioned. Verse 3, and Paul began to destroy or ravage the church he discovered the houses the apostles visited or where house churches were located. He dragged men and women and put them in prison. Can you see them praying for courage to be faithful to their savior despite their persecution? Those who were scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, until now, the church had been centered in Jerusalem, but God, in his sovereign will, changed all that. It moved into Judea and Samaria, just as the Lord Jesus said it would, in fulfillment of the Great Commission in Acts 1.8. Verse 5, Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed Christ there, and they received him in saving faith. Miracles were performed. Verse 7, with shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many cripples and paralytics were healed. The people knew that Philip spoke to them in the name and power of Jesus. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy, Galatians 5.22. And the great physical and spiritual healing that went on in that city produced great joy. But more than that, did you ever think about the joy or the celebration in heaven that took place when that first Gentile was transformed by the message of salvation in Christ? Verse 9 introduces us to a very interesting character, Simon the Sorcerer, who had amazed, I prefer to use the word duped, 
the people in Samaria for a long time. Simon was all about witchcraft and sorcery, which are diametrically opposed to God. Galatians 5.20 speaks of the sin of witchcraft, and Revelations 21.8 and 22.15 tell us that those who practice magic arts are excluded from the holy city and are cast into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is powerful scripture that we need to be meditating on, especially during this Halloween time. Yes. Verse 11, in bringing the name of Jesus and the power of his message to Samaria, dear faithful Philip had invaded the stronghold of the occult. Verse 13 tells us Simon himself believed and was baptized. Was this sorcerer genuinely converted? He was not, for true faith needs to mean a transformed life. A very respected Bible teacher tells us he had a wrong view of self, he had a wrong view of salvation, he had a wrong view of the Holy Spirit, and he had a wrong view of sin. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. Now God had held back the coming of the Holy Spirit until Jerusalem apostles and Jews arrived in Samaria to allow the Spirit of God to come to the Jews and the Gentiles together so that there would be unity in the growing church. The Holy Spirit unifies the body of Christ, and surely no two segments of the body needed unifying more than Jerusalem believers and newborn Christians in Samaria. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, he said, Give me also this ability. But as before, it was because he desired self glorification. Never is anything stated in scripture that he wanted to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Now take a look at that as opposed to 2 Corinthians 4-5 where Paul states we preach not ourselves but Christ Jesus as Lord. Simon was a professional who immediately saw the prophet potential in this kind of power. He wanted to buy the power of God. It is not for sale. It has never been for sale. It will never be for sale. In verse 20, Peter answered, May your money perish with you. Repent. Perhaps the Lord will forgive you, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. So does 
Simon have true faith? This is from another respected Bible commentator. And I think it's so important to share, show, to share with you. True faith is knowledge and conviction that everything God reveals in his word is true. It is also a deep-rooted assurance created in me by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel that out of sheer grace earned for us by Christ, I have had my sins forgiven, I have made, been made forever right with God, and I have been granted salvation. Simon had none of this. And we have to remember that this is not about God's ability to forgive sin, but to Simon's unwillingness to repent. He says, pray for me, but that is because Simon fears the consequences. We do not see transformation or true repentance. Now, verses 26 through 29 are such a wonderful part of this chapter. They tell us how the Holy Spirit sent Philip to greet the Ethiopian treasurer and his chariot caravan. This man had been earnestly seeking God, traveling 1,200 miles on foot. But still he didn't understand what he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. So Almighty God in his great kindness provided Philip a top-notch, spirit-filled teacher to explain the passages to him. And God met his searching heart. And perhaps that describes some of you in this room who are earnestly seeking to worship the Lord in truth and righteousness and through the power of his holy word. Indeed, the Ethiopian treasurer went on a long 1,200-mile journey seeking God. But for some of us, it's been longer than that. It's been a journey of a lifetime needing to find God and his holiness. But I attest to the fact that God is faithful in hearing our heart cry to know him better. He brought us to this Bible study, and he's bringing us to this wonderful church, many of us, and we are constantly being fed the Word of God. And I'd like to share two verses. The talk about the faithfulness of God. Psalm 119.2 says, Blessed are they who seek the Lord with their whole heart. And Jeremiah 29.12, And you shall seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. What a wonderful promise from the living God. And returning to Acts, I love verse 30. Philip ran to the chariot where the Ethiopian treasurer was sitting, 
he had such eagerness to explain the word of God. And he went ahead and he taught the substitutionary death of the Lamb of God in everything that Isaiah was stating and then focused it all back on the precious saviorhood of Jesus Christ. Such a happy ending. The Ethiopian official confessed his faith and was baptized right there in the desert, rejoicing in his salvation in Christ all the way back to Ethiopia. And then suddenly, dear, faithful Philip is snatched away to do more powerful preaching in other coastal towns, including the town of Joppa, where Simon the Tanner and Peter were staying. Now after this victory of truth, we come to chapter 9 to learn about the fanatical zeal of Saul to stop the Christian faith. Damascus was a widely traveled area and here the new faith could spread rapidly to other cities and towns. Saul traveled to Damascus to arrest believers and take them back to prison in Jerusalem. But as he approached the city, a brilliant light from heaven flashed around him. This light was the radiant glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. The brilliance engulfed not only Saul, but those traveling with him. He hears the voice of Jesus who asks him, why is he persecuting him? Verse 5 tells us that Saul responds, who are you, Lord? And this question indicates that he did not know to whom he was speaking. Jesus' answer, I am Jesus who you are persecuting, must have struck his heart like a lightning bolt. Because in a moment, he realized that everything he had believed about Jesus and his followers was wrong. Blinded by the light, Saul is led to Damascus where he fasts for three days. Separated by his blindness and left to himself, Paul has time to cope with the greatest change in his life, conversion to believing in Jesus. Paul had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, and Paul based his apostleship on the fact that he had seen and talked with the risen Lord. And that is found in 1 Corinthians 9.1 and 15.8. Jesus calls Ananias to send him to Saul, but Ananias objects to the assignment because he was still afraid of Saul. But after hearing reassuring words from Jesus, Ananias goes to Saul, places his hands on Saul, who then receives his sight and is filled with the beautiful Holy Spirit. Paul is baptized and is fast and is strengthened. Now this just doesn't refer to physical strength, though indeed he did receive that. It also refers to wondrous new ability that Paul received to prove from the scriptures that Jesus Christ is indeed the Messiah. What a change in his rhetoric. 
Verses 20 through 25, Paul preaches but experiences much opposition, so much that he fears for his life. His followers let him down in a basket outside the city wall where he escapes to Jerusalem. There he is introduced to the apostles through the tactful words of Barnabas. Paul debates the Greek-speaking Jews in Jerusalem, again is threatened, and travels to Caesarea and Tarsus. Verses 33 and 34 tell us of the wondrous miracle and the healing of Aeneas, who was bedridden for eight long years. Just imagine his suffering. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And immediately he was healed and many turned to the Lord. Verses 36 through 41 speak of Tabitha, also known as Dorcas. And she was a true disciple of Jesus Christ for she lived her Christianity in everything she said and did. What an example for me. Puts me to shame. She was known for her tireless work among the poor, her kindness, and her compassion. The disciples called on Peter for they knew that Jesus had raised people from the dead and that Peter had received authority from Jesus to do similar miracles. Peter knelt down in humble adoration and total dependence on God, turned to her body, and said, Tabitha, get up. And she was alive again. Believers rejoiced, and the unsaved believed. The last few verses talk about Peter staying in Joppa for some time with Simon the Tanner. Now this is important because Simon's occupation of being a tanner was looked at as being unclean by the Jews, so therefore he was shunned by them in the local synagogue, but he was accepted by the Christian church. Peter's decision to stay with him reflects his own humility and readiness to separate himself from Jewish legalism and also his desire to continue his vital work among the Gentiles, spreading the light and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs>